Hi, thank you. I'm uh, Larry Jones. I've uh, been a board member here. I've been coming to this church for about 20 years, and um, my wife and I and kids, and uh, I'm proud to be associated with this church and what we do here. Um, proud to be uh, linked uh, somewhat to Pastor John and uh, this excellent pastoral staff we have and the administrative staff. And I'm honored they asked me to speak today, I, especially without pre-screening my notes. It's kind of a dangerous thing for them to do. And I thought maybe before I got started, I would uh, give one of those disclaimers like you see on TV that the views uh, presented here do not necessarily represent the views of this church or its affiliates or whatever, but uh, I think we'll, we'll be okay. We'll get started here. Uh, leave it to me, though, to uh, draw a crowd. I, I, uh, we counted uh, before I started, and I think we had uh, zero. I think we had zero people here, which is about uh, is about what my average is on my speaking engagements. We, uh, we're, we're averaging about, uh, about nobody uh, to those. But um, anyway, the room is empty. It is kind of weird. I've never done that before. I uh, never spoke to a cavernous, empty room and uh, just into a, uh, a camera lens. But we're going to try it. We're going to see if it, uh, how this goes. I don't know if this speech or this message would be categorized as teaching or preaching or anything like that. But Travis asked me to give an encouraging word. And uh, I think I've got that for you, and I, I hope this will bless you. For a number of years, uh, I don't know why, but I've been intrigued with this one topic. I help teach a Sunday school class here, and I've talk, I talk about it a lot. Um, but I've always been intrigued with the topic of salvation, what it means. Um, we search. We're all on this planet. Uh, we're finding our way to God. People have uh, various searches, and uh, we... we using the Bible as our source in our attempt to learn about God and his nature, we find out that God cannot abide in the presence of sinners without compromising who he is. We know that he demands perfection, and we know he demands righteousness, and we know from the same book that none are righteous. None of us are. The Old Testament law was given to us to tell us what sin was and how a righteous life was impossible to live. It set up a standard that we couldn't meet. And the Bible, this is not very flattering, but the Bible goes to great lengths to tell us how unworthy, how lost, how depraved we are. David uh, was conceived in sin and brought forth in iniquity. Uh, the Bible says, no one seeketh after God. No one doeth good. All have fallen short. All we like sheep have gone astray. You're dead in your trespasses and sin. Are you feeling good about yourself? The wicked go estranged from the womb. It goes to great lengths to tell us that our righteousness is as filthy rags and he demands righteousness. So it seems like an impossible thing to overcome. So what do we do? How do we overcome this? Christianity, as opposed to all other religions, presents itself in a liter literary term in the passive voice, meaning that we, presented with this sin problem, are unable to save ourselves, and we're in need of a rescue. We need a savior. And uh, someone's going to have to do it for us because we are unable to do it. And the salvific act, the effective act of salvation is paid for by God. So no one here gets credit for it. You don't get credit for your attempt to appease God because your works aren't good enough. You can't live a sinless life. And so, as a matter of fact, that's one of the apologetic arguments for the veracity of Christianity. And that is that no man would invent this religion because he's not the hero. We would all, our flesh cries out that God should have us to thank for our salvation, that we have something to do with it. Surely we merit it. 
The Bible says we cannot do that, that God has to do it for us. And all other religions are different. All of them are. They're all works-based. And they attempt to please this deity. They attempt to please God by having the good outweigh the bad. And they have this scale of self-evaluation. They never know where they stand. And um, they live their life trying to make the good outweigh the bad. And a lot of people, most people are that way. It's called a Pelagian. It's called Pelagianism. That the works are weighed in a scale and that determines heaven uh, or not for, for people. A lot of the world is that way. Uh, our culture is that way. Christians in masses are that way. If you ask somebody, why should God let you into heaven? Most people will start listing their credentials. They'll start telling you why God should let them in. They'll start listing their own positive attributes. You, do, you see that at funerals too. Somebody may say, well, oh, brother so-and-so, I know he's up there in heaven playing 18 holes with golf, of, of golf with, with Jesus. And you say, well, what? And, and everybody gets to go evidently. And you, you ask them, what makes you think that? And they'll say, well, he's the nicest guy I ever saw. He just never heard, never heard a fly. He loves ever. And they give you a works-based reason for God to accept them. God says we can't do that. When you look at Christianity, you see that salvation is a little more than the basic notion that he died for our sins. We know that's true. We know he died. But it's so much deeper than that. And I've, I've, really, I've really enjoyed the, the, the study of this over the years. The, 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 the soundings and the reverberations of salvation as it's presented in the Bible are lost on most people. We know that he died. Uh, there's a Southern notion of Jesus died for my sins and I'm going to heaven when I, and that's true, but it's deeper than that. It's like trying to uh, explain astrophysics by twinkle, twinkle, little star. It's not adequate to describe that which the Bible depicts as a salvific act of God. There's so many facets to this. It's so exciting. The Bible gives us words that are so rich in meaning, words like atonement. I'm not going to go into the definition of all of these, but propitiation, ransom, that God was just, Jesus was not just a moral example for us to follow. He's not just a, a good guy that, that we ought to try to be more like, but he was actually a sin payment. He was a sin payment. He satisfied the wrath of a God that required righteousness, and he did it on your behalf. There are words like redemption and substitution. Rich words. You were bought in the marketplace. You were purchased. And then there's a couple of words that I just really uh, love. Imputation and justification. God demands a righteousness that you can't attain through your attempt to appease him. You try that with your good works, you're unable. So he, this is great, he imputes his righteousness to you. He gives it to you. The best example I've come up with, and I've used it a lot, my son's in college. He calls and says, my checkbook's empty, Dad. You gracious, merciful father, my checkbook is empty. I have no money, but you do have some. Could you impute your money to my checking account where I can act on it? And by the way, he did act on it. He acted on it a lot. He was able to use that money as though he had earned it. He was justified 
to buy groceries and he could go into a restaurant and he could go spend that money and was justified to get the stuff he was buying. You did nothing to affect your own salvation. You're saved by faith. The faith that you have, the Bible says, is a gift from God. You didn't know you need a Savior. Man is naturally opposed to the notion that he needs to be saved. The Bible says you were dead in your trespasses. You weren't in the water up to your waist reaching out for God. You were face down in the water, unresponsive. He quickened you to your need for a Savior. He's knocking on your door. You didn't go seek him of your own volition. He was knocking the whole time, and your contribution to your salvation was answering the door and saying yes. It's a wonderful thing. That's why it's passive. You can't do it, but he loves you so much, he did it for you. Through the narrow gate of an apology, the narrow gate of this one man, and your dedication to that man, he'll give his righteousness to you. And in a wonderful exchange, he takes your sin upon himself. He gives you his righteousness that his father demands, and he takes away your sin. And he justifies you as though you did everything right. It's a wonderful thing to think on. The Bible puts that in a legal sense. Colossians 2 says that the charges against you, the evidence that was able to convict you, the charges against you, he took them away and he nailed them to the cross. If Dorothy Jones were here, she would give me a little hoop right over here. It's an amazing thought. He nailed them to the cross. It is legal. It's judicial, it's geometrical, it fits. You have been legally decreed righteous. But I'm not. I know who I am. I'm not worth Jesus paid it, justified, justified you as though you had done everything right, and he has decreed you. It is positional. You are righteous in Christ Jesus. Praise God. I hope you soak that up. It's a wonderful thing to think about. For those who have been a saved and this, they have appropriated this gift to their life, your sin has been dealt with. For those who have not, wrath is coming. This is a sobering thought, and you don't hear it talked about a lot today, but God doesn't wink at sin. He paid a very exorbitant and precious price to deal with sin, to offer salvation to you. My brother preached a message here a while back, and, and he said something that was profound to me. He said, if Jesus were to come back today, nobody's going to recognize him. Our culture has recast Jesus into this softy, this effeminate good guy who just happens to approve of everything I do. He loves everybody. He's never mad. They've erased half of his nature and they've created him to be something like a good luck charm. The Bible says he's coming back with a sword in his mouth to slay the nations. It's going to be a bloodbath. In Revelation, he is depicted as dressed in a robe dipped in blood. You've, you've heard uh, the battle hymn of the Republic. He has trampled out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. That is a depiction of revelation where he is slaying his enemies. When people ask you about salvation, if they were to ask you, what are you saved from? That's what you're saved from. You're saved from his wrath. You're saved from his dealing with sin. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians, God's not appointed us to wrath but to obtain salvation. You've been appointed 
He chose you. Christianity is not reserved for the smart people, the people who are intuitive and have figured it out. They're wiser than everybody else. You were appointed. You were chosen. What is your response to that? It is a posture of humility and thanks. You assume the position. You assume a position of humility and thankfulness. And then you get to work on his behalf. That's why this wrath thing is, is serious. That's why we need to be about the kingdom's business. Is there an earthly benefit to this? Sounds good in the future, but I've got a rough life. I have trouble. The Bible says we're going to suffer persecution. All those that uh, desire to follow after Christ shall suffer persecution. We live in an earthly body. We don't have a glorified body. What about now? There's one more term having to do with salvation that I love. It's a wonderful word. You'll never look at this the same again after I finish talking. Don't ever forget what I'm going to say. The word is hope. Hope. No word in our common modern vernacular, vernacular, I'm sorry, has been more corrupted than that word. In our vernacular, we, we say the word hope like it's an iffy thing. Are you going to do this? I hope so. Are you going to do this? I hope. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe not. I don't know. Could be. Could not. But in the Bible, it's not like that. It's not even close to that. If you're a Christian, I'll give you a little background here. If you're a Christian, the closer you get to God, the more you learn about him, the closer you get, you develop this relationship, the less at home you feel in this culture, the more at odds you feel here. The things you value, if you're a Christian living in this country right now, the things that you value are mocked, you feel marginalized, you feel out of step with the world, the media, the education system, the entertainment industry, they all desacralize the things that you hold sacred. They mock it. We've always known that we're in the world, but not of the world. We say that. But I've never felt so out of step in my life. I'm starting to feel that persecution that, that you hear about in the Bible is right around the corner. The groundwork is being laid for, for more, and I can't believe what I'm seeing. I can't believe it. This breakneck pace that our, uh, of, of the erosion of our country. We know something's wrong. If you're a Christian and you love God with all your heart, you know something's broken. Something's not right. There's a dissonance in us. And it cries out for resolution. The same Holy Spirit that you have in you, that called you out of the world, it makes you long for the next world. We feel unsatisfied. There's something unresolved. Something out of place. What's that have to do with hope? We're getting to it. Paul says, Romans 8, a lot of this is from Romans 8. It's a really rich chapter. In verse 22, he says that all of creation groans in pain. It wasn't just mankind that fell in the garden. All of creation is broken. It's not the way it was. It's not the way it's going to be and supposed to be. Things have gone awry. Creation was cursed, and it's going to be redeemed. But then Paul says, not only creation, here's where we come in, but we ourselves also groan. Here's that dissonance. Here's that uneasy feeling. We also groan waiting for the redemption of our bodies. He says, we suffer with him. We can be glorified with him. We know what to expect. We suffer. 
By the way, a couple of things. Verse 17, don't forget this either. Verse 17 says that the Spirit intercedes for us. Same chapter. And verse 34 says Jesus is interceding for you. You've got two-thirds of the Godhead working on your behalf all the time. That ought to make you feel good. You ought to respond to that. That's a good thing. So here's what hope is. This awareness, this feeling that we're not of the world, we're displaced, and the full awareness of his promises. So we've got this, this heartbreak that some of us have sometimes. I can't imagine what some people are going through right now. I was talking to a guy this morning. What people have to deal with, and I haven't had to deal with a lot of it, but it's coming. If you haven't, it's coming. But this awareness of the promises of God and the degree to which you believe those promises and this eager expectation of resolution that you have in you, the degree to which you believe he is going to wrap this thing up and that relief is right around the corner, that he's written you a lottery check, but you just can't cash it yet. The degree to which you believe what he says should produce hope. It should dispel anxiety and fear and help you endure. Praise God. Praise God. What a promise. Paul calls those sufferings light, momentary, and not worthy to be compared. The knowledge of what's ahead helps you endure. You've got to believe that. You have to believe it. The more you believe it, the more you endure, the more you get through those things. You've not been left without hope. Praise God. You've got it. Romans 6, 13, Paul says, may the God of hope fill you with joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Not abound in wishful thinking, you have hope. You think he'll finish this? You think he'll do the rest? I'm 60 years old. I can't even hardly say I'm 60. It sounds so funny. It sounds so weird to me. But I've already realized that life is a vapor that it's winding up for me. It's winding up. The, the, the whole world seems to be coming to some culmination of resolution. If you believe him, that belief should bear fruit and patience and endurance. It should dispel anxiety and worry and fear. Can we get to that place in our life? Can we get close enough to him that, that we start to realize and internalize the fact that this is temporary and it's worth it? Weeping may endure for the night, but joy cometh in the morning. Praise God. I'm wrapping this up. I've had a sense of grief and, and, and mourning uh, this week as I prepared for this. I don't know if I'm identifying with somebody, but there's no doubt in an audience the size that we reach through these broadcasts that somebody's hurting. When this virus thing and the people out of work and, and just lost loved ones and people hurt. You need to be reminded of the benefits that come with being a child of God. The things that are associated with the package. Hope is dependent on believing. There's somebody there, out there somewhere, needs a message of hope. You need hope because you feel hopeless but it's been provided for you. The Holy Spirit inside of you identifies with the fact that you belong to him and that he's going to do what he says. Do you believe that? 
this isn't what you're going through isn't worthy to be compared. I'm not making light of your problems either. I've got the same issues. I have things I worry about. I have anxiety. I have fear. I live in the flesh. I don't have a glorified body yet. It's hard. But based on the word of God, he said it's light, momentary, and not worthy to be compared with what's right around the corner. I believe it. Ravi Zacharias, one of my heroes in the faith, passed away this morning. Two days ago, he posted a tweet that I read. And he said, even though outwardly we waste, we do not lose heart. Not us. We don't lose heart. We know who he is. He's proven that. He's already done that. You have hope. The world doesn't have it. They got everything else. But we have a proprietary patent on hope. You can endure. I'm going to say something I've never said before. I've got a word from God from, for somebody. And I'm going to speak in imperative and declarative sentences. If God were speaking to you today, he would tell you, you hold on. I'm coming. You wait on me. I'm Be patient. I'm not finished yet. Hang on. I'll be there. Do you believe me? I've given you 4,000 years worth of history in the Old Testament. And then we had the incarnation, the virgin birth. We've had a life of miracles with Jesus. We had his crucifixion, his resurrection, the ascension. Do, do you think I'll go ahead and finish? Or do you think I stopped? Do you think I'll finish this? you think I'll just keep going with this plan that I've revealed to you? You have to believe me. I've placed my spirit in you. You're equipped. You can do it. That's the encouraging word. I am here to exhort the brethren. You can do this. But it may be a while. Here's God talking. It may be a while. So why don't you and I conquer some areas in your life? In the meantime, why don't we go and claim a few victories? Why don't we occupy some territory and take back a little land that we've lost, do some damage to the enemy? Why don't we fight a little? What about, about, what about onward Christian soldiers? Why don't we do that? Why don't you help me advance the kingdom and then we'll wrap this thing up? How about that? We at Church on the Rock sure do love you. We thank you for your support during this time. It's a privilege to minister to you. And this message today was for Christians. But if you're there and you're not one, you need hope too. You need it. We care about your soul. They're going to superimpose a phone number on the bottom of the screen. And we man those phones during business hours, get a hold of somebody and tell them, I need Christ in my life. And we'll take care of it. We'll get you saved. You're going to have hope like, like we do. I sure do love you. I thank you. Let me pray for you. Lord, we just thank you for the scripture today. We thank you for the message. We thank you for all the benefits. You said you're coming and you're bringing your reward, Lord. We believe it. We believe it because we know who you are. You've already demonstrated the degree to which you love us. Father, I just ask blessings on our congregation, the people that we serve here, Lord, that you would just touch them and bless the families that they represent. Bring us all back together safe and healthy, and we sure do love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. God bless you. And maybe
you're tired And maybe you're worn out And maybe you're done I say pegging on fighting on Maybe you're thirsty Maybe you're broken Wanna throw in the towel Cause he says keep hanging on Fighting on Take me to the river And refresh me living water Just to keep hanging on, fighting on Maybe you're hurting And maybe you're a bit confused And maybe you're weary And I say keep hanging on, fighting on Maybe you're abandoned And maybe you're little used Can't seem to keep pressing on And he says I'm always there for you So take me to the river Refresh me living water And give me the faith And just to keep hanging on Fighting on Take me to the river water and give me the faith and just to keep hanging on fighting on as I need your hand and I need your strength to stand cause I need the faith and just to keep hanging on fighting on cause I need your hand and I need your strength to stay Cause I need the faith And just to keep hanging on Final, take me to the river Refresh me living water And give me the faith And just to keep hanging on Final, take me to the river water and give me the faith and just to keep hanging on fighting on Amen. Well, we just pray blessings over you tonight and we just pray that you'd have a blessed day.